Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Our reading today is taken from the Gospel of St. John, the 12th chapter, from the 28th verse. A story is given of Jesus Christ in his last days as he gets to the place of crucifixion, death and resurrection, his soul is troubled. He's asking the Father to save him. But for this cause, he knows that he came for this hour. And in the 28th verse, he prays and says, Father, glorify thy name. The Bible says, then came a voice underlined from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Bible says, and people therefore that stood by heard it, that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered, verses 30, and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sex. Wow. So Jesus Christ prays to the Father in his last days before the crucifixion. And then he says, glorify your name. And so in the glorification of his name, the Bible says, a voice comes from heaven. And when a voice comes from heaven, the Bible says, the people therefore that stood by heard it and said that it thundered. So there's a group of people that heard thunder. You see? And then another group of people said, they had an angel speak to Jesus. And remember, it was a mixed group of people. There were Jews, I believe. And in the earlier verses, you see certain Greeks, is it? That had come to Philip and asked him, can you take us to see Jesus? That we may worship at his feet. So I see, if you had to picture this, there is a group of Jews there, and there are Greeks there, and this happens. Father, glorify your name. And a voice comes from the heavens. And when that voice comes and says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it. The Bible says, the people who were in that congregation, some didn't hear anything but a thunder. Okay? And then others heard like an angel was speaking to Jesus. But perhaps they could not hear what exactly he was telling Jesus in quotes. And then Jesus tells these people, this voice came not because of me. It did not come for me. It did not come to instruct me. It did not come to strengthen me. It did not come to affirm me. I did not have any doubts on my course, neither any apprehension that God would approve me and glorify his name. It did not come for me. This voice came for you. So we see Jesus praying, God glorify your name. Let me give us an example. So you have Jesus here. All right. And then you have the congregation on my right. And so Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then the Father turns to these people while Jesus is here. And he says, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And the people here who know that the Father is speaking, some think an angel has spoken to Jesus something. That means they get it wrong. And another group of people just hears thunder. 
He just here standing. Are you sure you can distinguish the voice of God? The Lord spoke to me and said, My children, in many circumstances, have glorified and agreed with the expressions that come with my voice as though it was my voice. And for some, because some in this instance even do not know the expressions that they take both my expressions and voice familiar because they don't hear the voice. They take the expressions as normal life experiences. And because of that, many of them lose my voice. They don't hear me. It's not that I've not spoken. The Lord said, they just don't know how to distinguish my voice. They were never taught how to hear me. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want to teach us about discerning the voice of God. Because I have seen that the most frustrating experience of the Christian life is seeking a God that you cannot hear. Is talking to a God that does not seem to answer, yet it seems to answer others. Or, on the other side, is assuming that you have heard a God who has not spoken anything. In some instances, you have run with the expressions as though it was the voice or misinterpreted the voice because you don't know how God speaks. The church is in disarray, disunity, people are divided, people are indifferent to the person of God, there are wars within the body of Christ. Our spirits have been beaten as though we're not children of God. Many believers across the world do not even understand what it means to bear the life of God. Many believers out there are living defeated lives, normal, predictable lives. They are losing their stuff, they're losing their marriages, they're losing their children into the world, they're losing their ministries, they're losing a lot majorly because they don't hear God. Or when he speaks, they cannot distinguish his voice. The Bible is clear that when we hear the voice of God, we leave. That is the power that comes with hearing God. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that the hour is coming now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall Leave. They that hear shall live. The power of God's voice cannot be described in the words that a human being has. Because, see, when he says, I'm come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I'm come that you may have life. You see, the devil came but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I'm come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. How do I give you life? I give you life through my words. He says that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So he says the time comes when the dead will hear his voice and they that hear, the Bible says, they shall live. So you are as alive as you hear God. And you are as dead as you hear God. I cannot tell you how many people I have encountered in the world, in my walk of salvation, who are dead. Some, as the scriptures call it, twice dead but they assume that they hear God. But everything in their life is a sign that they don't hear God. The results in their story is a sign that they don't hear God. You look at their marriage, you look at their ministries, you look at their visions, you look at how they think, you look at how they relate with life, you look at how they react to things, you hear their conversations, even though they appear to be born again. And you can tell this person has either not had God in a long time or they have never heard God speak. Or they never understood when he spoke. Because 
I always told people, and I will always repeat this, because I don't think many people are able to interpret and understand the gravity of this statement. No man can hear the voice of God and stay no more. It's not possible. I tell people, look, go back to the scriptures and look at the patriarchs. Look at Abraham before God and look at what happens when he encounters God. Look at Joseph. Look at Jacob. Look at the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Look at every man that ever came in contact of the God of Israel. Their lives were not the same. Look at the priests that encountered God. Look at the judges. Look at the apostles that walked with our Jesus. Look at them and how they lived. Look at the death and resurrection of Jesus and those that continue the story and testimony of our Lord. Listen, the voice of God will change you inside out. I have noticed that as I study church history, that many of the people that have been mightily used by God had a voice, a sentence, a statement. And if you've studied evangelists in the past or the men who have really walked under heavy anointings, you will hear them keep consistent statements in their ministries as signs of their calling, the mandate of God placed on their lives. They usually say these things, some of them at the end of programs, at the beginning of programs, some of them have made them mission statements, but whatever it is, they have received a certain word of God and when they received it and started running with it, God proved himself to be true. Listen, he has said that my word does not come back void. When I send it out, it shall achieve that which I send it to achieve. It shall prosper in the thing that I send it. When God speaks, something happens. Somebody shout hallelujah. When a man has never been transformed by the word of God, it's hard for you to explain to them how God speaks and the power of his word. Because like I said, they all assume to have heard a God. They actually have not heard. When we go back to the story, if you're a reader of the Bible, you will come to agreement with me that this is like the third time God publicly proclaimed his approval or approbation of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Before, we saw that in the baptism, when he's put into the water, and then he's out. This is my son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. We see a similar experience at the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Tabor. God publicly approves the person of Jesus Christ. This is the third time that we see God approve him publicly as a son of God. Now, in this instance, like the voice of God in its print and nature, he spoke something that was intended for the people that were with Jesus according to his prayer. And there's a revelation in there to reconcile it of why then does he turn to them and tell them, I have glorified my name and I shall glorify it. And Jesus tells them, this was meant for you. So the voice of God comes clearly directed to people. And a man seated there or standing there heard a thunder and touches his friend and said, what was that thunder about? Another one discerned there was a voice speaking, but they could not pick the details or maybe interpretation or understanding of what was being said and said an angel was speaking to Jesus. You see? But the man writing John, in the fact that he could say exactly what the Lord told these people, it meant John actually had what God said. So the voice of God has come, but one group of people have heard the expressions that come with that voice, and another group of people have heard him as he has spoken. And John is among those who really had the voice of God. In Psalms 29, from the verse 3, let me explain expressions that come with the voice of God. God in scripture has proved that he usually give certain expressions to come with his word. And Psalms 29, from the third verse, we see 
some of these expressions. The Bible says the voice of the Lord is upon the waters and the God of glory thundereth. You see that? The voice of the Lord is upon the water and the God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. Verses 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. You see? So there's somebody who sees the cedars breaking and the psalmist says that that is the voice of God. It breaks the cedars. So one sees the expression of the breaking of the cedars. And another one will hear the instruction in the breaking of the cedars. You see that? The Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. It makes flames of fire. You see? It creates flames of fire. So some see the fire. Some hear the voice. Somebody shout hallelujah. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. It's like an earthquake. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds of the calf and discovereth the forest. And in his temple does everyone speak of his glory. So we see expressions of fire in the voice of God. Expressions of thunder in the voice of God. Shakings of earthquakes in the voice of God. We see lions skipping and calves in the voice of God. So some receive the expressions that come with that voice and some receive the instructions. No wonder in Psalm 62 he says, God spoke once and twice I heard. So every time the voice of God comes to you, there are two realms of hearing it. Some hear the flood, others hear God. In the instruction. Some hear the rain. Others hear the instruction. Some hear the thunder. Others hear the instruction. Some see the fire. Others hear the instruction. It's one thing. You see, let me give you a typical example. A couple of years ago, in the dream of a night, the Lord gave me a wonderful vision. And in this vision, I was standing and the heavens opened in this vision. And then hosts of angels that I could not count descended from heaven. And they came moving in a circle like a spiral, a downward moving spiral from heaven ascending in circles like that and they came and as in the middle like that and God the Father was just above. I could see the throne, you know, I could see the throne, the light of God was above and the angels started moving and they were the most beautiful angels I'd ever seen. I mean, I've had angelic visits but I'd never seen these kinds of angels with my vision. They had golden wings. And the golden wings were shining, so bright, sparkling. But the golden wings sounded like they were metal. I could hear some squeeches in these metals. And they started praising God. And they started flying around us. And in a split of a second, I find myself in Fenero. And as they are above us, I see the congregation appear before me. I'd not looked down. But when I looked down, the congregation of Fenero service appeared. And God opened a rain. And that rain came falling so heavily in the service. So heavily in the service. And while it came, I heard Jesus say, Jesus was in the vision. He said, this rain is a sign. It's my expression of this, that your ministry for Nero has gone to the next level of glory. Now, that day, I preached to someone called glorified. That day, Something like had never happened before. I'm in the middle of teaching and rain comes down. Some of you remember that day. The rain 
became so heavy. And as I continued, the Spirit of God told me, just continue teaching. They're not going to move. And I remember it felt so heavy and nobody moved. People hit their phones. People got their bags and put them under the chair. Some put chairs on their head. Those who had umbrellas put them on. Some those that had jackets put them on their heads. Women started dripping with their hair. And the rain hit us to the end of service and nobody moved. And the anointing, if you remember that day, was very, very heavy. Now, I'm going back home with a very deep instruction of the next level of funeral. And there's somebody in the meeting who perhaps only observed the rain. Rain had never beaten us like that since I started Fanya. Every Thursday, God sort of put a cloud to preserve us from the rain. But that day it rained so heavily. And what amazed me, nobody moved. People stayed in that rain to the end of service. People walked back and as the service was ending, the rain stopped. And people walked back home, dripping with rain. Something happened that day. Somebody partook something in there. But I know that somebody stayed indifferent because they did not know what was happening. It was no ordinary rain. God spoke once and twice I heard. Somebody shout hallelujah. There was a glorification. And from that day on, something changed in Fanero. If I got some of you and I started to give you some things from that day, you'll understand what I mean because I went noting the things that changed in the ministry because God spoke it. Are you following what I'm saying? When you read scripture, you see that God has spoken and in many times with expressions. And when you walk this journey of salvation and serving God, there is nothing as preserving as defining, as hearing God constantly. Cease to hear God as a minister. You'll see what will happen to you. Cease to hear God in your marriage. You'll see what will happen to you. Cease to hear God in your business. You'll see what will happen to that business. Listen, you cannot live without the voice of God. Today what we are dealing with are indifferent spirits, familiar spirits that are speaking like God to a generation that was never taught how to discern the voice of God. And every time these spirits speak, people think God is speaking. But like I said, you look at them and the fruit of the voice of God is not with them. Somebody must be delivered tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody shout hallelujah. I'll give you examples. Of what this means. Let me give you a typical example. Moses. Remember Moses? The Bible says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And that you judge the state of his heart. Not the temperament. Because if you judge the outside character, this man was hot tempered. You know that. The Bible says in Numbers 12. Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That was the state of his heart. We know it. And he had a special relationship with God. In fact, at one point when Aaron and Miriam come to criticize him for marrying a Cushite woman, God calls them out of the tent of meeting and asks them, are you not afraid to speak about my servant Moses? He asks them. And then God defines his place with Moses. He says that when I speak to prophets, I speak to them through visions and dreams. But he says, but that is not how I speak with Moses. He says, with him I speak mouth to mouth even apparently, not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord, the Bible says, does he behold? And he says, wherefore then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So he says, when I'm speaking to prophets, yeah, they get dreams, they get visions. But that is not how I speak with Moses. I speak to Moses face to face, mouth to mouth, even apparently. I don't hide my revelations. I don't speak in dark speeches. I don't use proverbs with him. I speak it as it should. We're like this. Were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That portion of scripture is so deep. Why? Because you can never judge a man if you cannot hear from where he hears God. 
regardless of how wrong you assume he is. It's not about whether he's wrong according to you. God told them, do not marry outside your own people. So I believe Miriam and Aaron, by saying we also hear God, God told us never to marry outside our own people. They are right because God spoke it. What if there's more instruction that you didn't hear? And then you judge a man from where God speaks generically and not personally. This is a problem with Aaron and Miriam. Who are you? He's asking. Were you not afraid? God is asking them. That means if Aaron and Miriam at least had basic understanding of who God was and the price of his voice on a man, he expects that they should have at least been afraid. Okay, we don't agree according to what is written, but he hears God from a different place from where we hear him. So chances are that we might have missed out on a few details. It takes so great wisdom to understand this. You can only judge people with whom you hear alike or who hear less than you, not people who hear higher than you. Never do it. Never do it. Never do it. Never do it. When they speak, you say, uh -uh, I have no opinion. Just don't have an opinion. Because by not having an opinion, you've actually given an opinion. And that is, I don't exercise myself in matters higher than I. So the psalmist says. Anyway, back to the point. So we see God in this portion of scripture as well shows us both the heart of the man that relates with him and the place that he speaks with him. But if we will now go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're given a wonderful story when God gives Israel the Ten Commandments through who? Moses. Something happened. The Bible says in verse 1, Moses called all of Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn and keep to do them. The Lord our God, he said, made a covenant with us in Horeb, and the Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive today. Verses 4, the Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. God spoke to you, Israel, on the mountain out of the midst of the fire. Verses 5 says, I stood, this is Moses, between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up to the mountain, saying, what? Now the voice starts to say, I'm the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Then he continues to tell them the Ten Commandments. Now listen. We are given an account in history where God comes to speak to the children of Israel. And when he comes to speak to the children of Israel, he speaks and the expression of his voice comes with a fire. And when they see the fire, instead of coming to God, because they are indifferent to who he is, if they knew who he was, they would understand that this fire was not there to consume them. But instead, they ran away from that fire. That means when God came to speak to Israel that day, when he came with a message, it came as a fire. Israel saw the fire and ran away. Moses stood between them at that time to show them the word of the Lord, to tell them, you guys are seeing fire, but this is exactly what God is saying. If you read that in the message version, if you read the fourth verse in the message version, he says, God spoke to you personally out of the fire on the mountain, verse 5, and at that time I stood between God and you to tell you what God said. He says, you were afraid, remember, of the fire and would not climb the mountain. You were afraid of the fire. So they see fire and run away, but God is what? Speaking. But it's not new to Moses. At 1.2, in his earlier years of consecration, he's looking after Jethro's sheep. Lo and behold, he sees a burning bush. He sees a fire. But it's not consuming. It is burning. But it's not consuming. What it's burning? 
And the scriptures tell us the most powerful response. He says, and Moses said, I will now turn aside, Exodus 3.3, 3, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is burning. The Bible says in verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he had turned to see, he called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Why? Because he saw a man who turned to see. He saw a man who was curious of the voice behind the expression. If Moses had seen that burning bush and walked away, God was not going to speak to him that day. He was going to look for another day. Not that day. And the deliverance of Israel was going to delay. And there will be an assumption that God has delayed to bring forth salvation for Israel. No, he has not delayed the salvation of Israel. A man did not turn when he was supposed to turn to hear that voice. It's only as fortunate as it was that the dear man of God turned to see this sight. And when the Lord saw that he had turned to see, God called him and said, you're the kind. Why? Because you're looking for a voice beyond this expression. There's a curiosity in your spirit telling you, I'm saying more than I'm expressing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why later, when they get to the mountain and they see a fire, Moses is familiar. He can tell, he says, I've seen this before. When this comes, he's about to speak. You see what I'm saying? So when Paul says we have not come to the mountain which cannot be touched, that is burning with brimstone and all this. No, it's the interpretation of what they saw. It wasn't really what was happening. Did you understand what I said? So he's telling us you have not come to a mountain that should burn with fire. What is he trying to tell you? That you have not been invited in a place where you'll miss the voice of God in the expressions. Oh, who has understood what I just said? In Hebrews 12 verses 18. So he says, you have not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, no unto blackness and darkness and tempest. That's not where as a believer you have been invited. So it doesn't mean that that mountain really burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest for the rest of its life or that that was its course as it used to go. Otherwise, then how would Moses stay on such a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights? You see what I'm saying? God is trying to tell us that I did not call you to be lost in hearing me because of the expressions that come with my voice. That's the simple Meaning, he says, ye have come to Zion. So Zion is a place. What place? It's a place of hearing God. It's not just the spiritual. I'm a child of Zion. Listen, when you say you're a child of Zion, the literal meaning is I hear God. That's what it means to say I'm a child of Zion. So he says, you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable companies of angels, and to the general assemblies, and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, you have come to God. And to the spirits of just made, made perfect, and to Jesus, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. It's a place of hearing. Zion is a place of hearing. It's not just a spiritual dwelling where you sit to be protected by God. It's not just a spiritual dwelling where you say, aha, now diseases won't come because I'm in Zion. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. But why wouldn't they come? Because you hear God. Why wouldn't you be attacked? Because you hear God. You hear a voice behind you tell you, go this way. Don't take that trout. Somebody's going to stone you. You see what I'm saying? Zion is a place of hearing God. Can I go deeper? So we see that when God wanted to speak face to face, Israel would not receive him face to face. They would hear fire. Similar issue happens in Elijah's experience. And this time to the prophet himself. 
You remember the time when he flees from Jezebel. Jezebel had committed that she was not going to rest until the servant of God is what? Is dead. So remember, he runs to a cave and God feeds him. Isn't it so? And after feeding him, the Bible says in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, the 9th verse, the Bible says he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word, listen, came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? A voice came and said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, let me give you something that amazed me. The Holy Spirit showed me something amazing. Elijah did not hear that statement. And I'm going to prove it to you by scripture. Elijah did not hear that question in the cave. Let me prove it. Elijah must have had something that God was not able to further explain to him before asking him the question that should be understood. This is why. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thine prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Remember, God has asked him, what are you doing here? And he's explaining himself. Now, I want to show us that what God spoke is not what Elijah understood. Elijah didn't hear the real question. Let's continue. God tells him in verses 11, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Bible says, The Lord passed by and a great strong wing rent the mountains. Are you hearing me? And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All of these were expressions preceding a voice. Now listen. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, listen, there came a voice unto him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This time, this time, after the expression of the fire, the expression of the wind, the expression of the earthquakes, a still small voice comes and then he starts to hear God differently and God repeats himself. So if Elijah had had the question the right way, why would God repeat the conversation? He's trying to tell the prophet here that I speak, but you don't hear me right. But let me first separate these expressions so you know I am beyond this expression that even though they come either before the voice or after, the point is I'm not in those expressions. My voice is distinct. It's a still, small voice. When Elijah hears the sample, this time what does he do? He wraps himself. Why? Because now he has heard as he's supposed to hear. And when God realizes that this man has heard as he's supposed to hear, he repeats the conversation and asks him, what? are you doing here? He repeats it. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see, the Bible says, 14, he repeats himself. I, the Lord of hosts, because of the children of Israel, have forsaken the covenant, thrown down thine elders, slain thy prophets, I, even I am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go return, on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, when thou goes there, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. Is he talking to a person who understands him? He says, oh, they are trying to kill me. They have killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left. God, this is why I've hidden. Then God says, go and anoint Hazel. Are you seeing? He's trying to tell him, you don't get what I'm saying. You're hearing me this time. I've tried again to bring the voice clearer to you but you still don't get it fully. So it doesn't go and anoint Hazael to be king of Assyria 
and Jehu the son of Nimishi, and thou shalt anoint to be king over Israel, Elisha the son of Shaphat, Abemelehola, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, over Abemelehola, thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay, yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, and all the knees which have not bowed unto bow, every mouth which has not kissed him. So he later at the end tells him, Go and do this, go and do that, go and do this, go and do that, because you are in your own confusion. There are 7,000 guys, you just didn't know them. And God departed and said, I'm done talking to you. Now imagine the shocker of thinking you were the only prophet and you were the prophet of that time. So if you've met somebody and they know you for being that prophet, they would think you're actually true. But there are parts in God you don't hear and cannot see, even though you are a prophet. There are 7,000, not two, not three that they can be hidden. 7,000 that have not bowed their heads to bow. But you cannot see a certain way because you have not heard me in a certain way. So we see God repeat himself. Separating the elements of his expression because he's trying to get the man to understand him. Do you know that conversation would have been different if Elijah asked, what am I missing? Or why have you asked me this question? Do you know that would have been a very different conversation? Jesus was a very strange human being. Very, very strange human being. And even in scripture, the instances, they would bring an issue to him and then you hear him change the story like what they have said has no connection at all with what they have come to tell him and in many instances if he was talking in the presence of a carnal man you'd actually think jesus had a problem with his head but it is how he spoke and why he spoke that way because you see i've realized this that jesus does not answer according to your reasoning and understanding in your questioning jesus answers according to purpose and what he knows is important. He does not subject himself to your level of reasoning to answer you from your logic and interpretation of life. That's not his way. His way is to make sure that he answers you according to what you need, not what you think you want. I think you've read the portion of scripture where they come to him, master. There's some people who have come to see you and stuff like that. They want to speak to you. If you go up with the Greeks, eh? you remember the Greeks? have come to worship at your feet. And the Bible says, and the same came there to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And the next verse says, Philip comes and tells Andrew, and Andrew again, and Philip come to Jesus and tell him, the Greeks have come here, sir. They've come to see you. And then Jesus answers and says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified and Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dieth, it bringeth forth much fruit. And you know, Jesus is speaking concerning his death. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life shall love it in this world and shall keep it until life. The Greeks have come to see you. It's time for the Son of God to be glorified. <laughs> he that loveth his life shall lose it, and if the seed abideth alone, it looks off. But it's a hundred percent on point. He knows what the Greeks want and he has given the right answer. But if Jesus existed in the time of some Christians, I know. As he would start, the walker and say something is wrong with the brother. Come back next week. I don't know where he's at. Why? No, 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 no. Uh, we told him you have come to see him. And he's here talking about seeds dying, abiding alone, except they die. <laughs> they cannot, they don't bring forth much fruit. And he that loves his life shall lose it. And he, and to cause age, what have we done? Why are we even having this conversation? Who's going to die? By the way, what is alone? I don't come back next week. Eh? It's, he's not in his, he's a hundred percent in his mind. <laughs> they just don't hear from where he speaks. No wonder, now I see, why the Bible says that the Greeks seek for wisdom and the Jews a sign. And in hearing this voice, one had a sign, which was a thunder, and another group had angels speaking wisdom. I can tell now. 
you know, my own interpretation, but it fits right. I think the man of wisdom could only hear an angel speaking, and the man of science was arrested by a thunder. That means that sometimes we can get so lost in the signs that we can actually lose the voice of God because he's more than the signs. He's more than the signs. And we can also lose God in seeking wisdom if we do not understand his definition of wisdom. I've seen people who in their wisdom have actually not known God. Hasn't the scripture said so? And I've seen people who in their understanding and interpretation of signs, look at the girl with the spirit of divination. It was a sign. She was prophesying. And the Bible says she brought her master's much gain through sooth saying. You see? But she was not a prophetess. And she gets a word of knowledge. These are the servants of the Most High God which have been sent to show us the way of salvation. Now, if these men were indifferent, they would have said, Rato Bogodo. She's a prophet. You prophet. What is the Lord saying? And then a familiar spirit takes over the church. I've seen familiar spirits running ministries in my day. But I'll not mention the name because... <laughs> It might be pastors of those people, some of them who are watching, you see. But understand that the voice of God is not as defined as people assume it is. Because you cannot hear God and stay the same. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. So, what am I trying to get us here? Somebody will ask the question. How do I discern or hear the voice of God beyond signs? How do I discern or hear the voice of God beyond the elements of his expression? And here is the answer. Your heart. Your heart. Your heart. Your heart. This is so deep that I don't think I can explain it fully. When the Bible says that Moses was the most humble man, what did that mean? And what did the humility of this man's heart then imply to the place of how God related with him? Because we see there's a correlation. There any reader can tell. The Bible says, you will find me if you search me with all your heart. You will find me if you search me with all your heart. Now with all your heart is not just I've poured my heart totally to God to find him. That's the wrong interpretation. The right interpretation of with all your heart when you study Hebrew, it's literally the place where God can and will examine your heart to the place of purity enough to hear him as you should. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart or in spirit. They shall see the Lord. They shall see the Lord. They shall see the Lord. What does verses 9 say? Matthew 5 verses 8. Blessed are they that are pure in the heart. Verses 8. For they shall see the Lord. Matthew 5, 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The wisdom from above, the Bible says, is firstly what? Pure. The purity of the heart is a very important aspect of life. And the purity of the heart in the New Testament is not the person who has not done anything against God. Because there are many people who have not done anything against God, but their hearts are not pure. They're not purified both in the revelation and understanding of the purification only God can give, but also the brokenness that God requires of a humble heart that knows how to seek him. Pride is a very important thing to understand because it can exist in the heart that assumes to be more humble. What is pride? Pride is the consciousness of self. When you are conscious about self, you're proud even when you do not know that you are. 
He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life, the Bible says, shall find it. They shall keep it for life eternal. We are selfish even without knowing. You can see it in how we pray and seek the Father. You can see it in your daily devotions and prayer. The things and the people you pray for. It's all about you. It's all about you. Paul says that I wish I was a cast myself off even for the sake of my brethren the Jews. He finds himself entering the synagogues to preach to men God had not called him to preach because the grace to him and Barnabas was to the uncircumcised as it was given to Peter and James and the rest of them for the circumcised. So God had not given grace to him to enter any synagogue. He was for the Gentiles. But because he wished himself a cast from Christ for the sake of his brethren, the Jews, his kinsmen according to the flesh, he finds himself taking the word with love. He's beaten almost to death and the next day he enters the next synagogue because he does not want to see any Jew die. See the period of a man who has lived beyond himself that even in his meditation he is willing to ignore and forego and override the blessing of everything he has worked for in Christ if God can guarantee to him that Israel will be saved. It was enough for him to accept to go to hell and never have eternal life because the Jews were saved. That's just how much love was in that man's heart. A man like that cannot pray for himself beyond what he is able to do and minister for men. The Bible is clear. He says, sometimes I'm torn betwixt as of to go and be with the Lord or to stay with you in the flesh. To be with the Lord, he says, is far better. But he says, but anyway, I shall abide in the flesh because it is more needful for you. You hear him making statements such as, we can never do anything against the truth, but for the truth. Not that we have more faith over you, but we come that our faith will be joined to you. I would rather spend and be spent for Jesus. He says, I know nothing of myself. I know nothing of myself. Since it's a small thing for me to judge myself or for any man to judge me, and yet, I'm not in this justified. But yet, he that judges me is the Lord because I know nothing of myself. This is a man who had lost himself and sold himself over to God and the ministry of Jesus Christ. When he lost the self, he understood what it means to be humble before God. When you create a life and build a heart that lives beyond you, it's amazing how you will hear God. Because that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. That's why he says, if he spared not his own son, why did he send Jesus? Will he not with him give you all things? Why? Because he can give anything for a man. God would give anything. Sending Jesus was the proof that he could send anything for Jesus. That is why I tell people the primary consecration should be with your heart. Tell God, prepare my heart. Instruct my heart. Deal with my heart. Remove the self from my heart. Help me live beyond me. Allow me to be available. He says, my son, give me your heart next line and let thine eyes observe my ways the only way your eyes can see my ways is if you give me your heart the only way you can hear me as you should is to give me your heart there are many parts of us that are sold into many things but many of us have actually never been examined or have not taken time to examine ourselves paul gives the church a strong warning examine yourselves prove your own selves whether you be in the faith why do you do what you do why do you pray why in the streets preaching I'm doing it because there's a girl that you like and she's on those streets too. 
and you hope that by standing on the streets together, something will come out. Why are you giving to God? Are you giving so that you will get more because you're tired of losing money and your pastor told you to tithe? Or are you giving in the revelation of the love of God? That separates the man that hears the voice and the man that doesn't. Why are you serving in that ministry? Why should you hold your peace when somebody speaks evil about you? Why shouldn't you attack them? Is it because you don't want them to, people to see you attacking them? Or you actually understand the heart of God in turning the other cheek? When the heart is truly examined, God starts to speak deeply. Deeply. There was something in Elijah so indifferent in him assuming he was the only prophet. In him assuming that he was the only obedient man at that time. There was a consciousness to the self. And when God is answering him, he didn't mention anything to him. Anoint Hazael, anoint Jehu, find Elisha, I've chosen him. I have 7,000 more. Then he stopped speaking to him because his heart was the kingdom, not what Elijah was bickering over. So what if your life is taken? How many people have shed blood, were killed, burned to stake, and matters because of the kingdom? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is an example. He could lose his life for the sake of mankind. The Bible says it's a normal thing for a man to die for a good person. But he died for sinners. He died for us who did not deserve it. This man from childhood to death and resurrection, he lived for men and not himself. He comes to the mission, I come to do the will of the Father. Every time you die from yourself, that's why when Paul says in dying often, God needs to deal with us to constantly die to ourselves. People are perishing. Recently somebody told me, oh, there's a peace minister who made a mistake here. Why don't you give your opinion? You're a voice in this nation. And I told him, look, there are 2.7 billion Christians known in the world. One billion are Roman Catholic. A quarter of 2.7 billion is what we assume is Pentecostal of the 8 billion people of the face of the earth. Is he a bigger problem than the five, six billion that have not had the gospel? Should I invest more time on that man's weakness than the five billion that have not had the message? Because I'm indifferent to the heart of God. If he falls, he falls to his master. And if he's to stand, he will stand before his master. And his master is able to uphold him. I can pray for him. I can pray for the church. But I will not speak about him. Why? Because there are 5 billion, 6 billion people that have not come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that man, even in his indifference, he could die and still go to heaven. Are you hearing me? God loves his people. Somebody shout amen. When I heard that years ago, I have been very keen to allow God to examine my heart in many aspects. And every time the heart is examined and I find the self and I allow him to kill that part of me, I realized I've had him more. I hear for men. I preach for you. We still let up the night burning the midnight candle that tomorrow you'll find something on the table to feed with every Thursday, every Sunday. Every morning we send devotionals to you. I have never asked any man on record to pay me for anything that I've done for God. Because that's my heart. You understand what I'm saying? Yet I find that every day I need to die. <laughs> you get my point? that I'll truly live. Because in living, you find the voice. And in finding that voice, you live. Somebody shout hallelujah. God wants to use us 
so mightily. Now, when I'm talking about the voice of God, I'm not talking about prophesying a phone number or getting a name of a person or a date of birth. No, 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 no. I'm beyond the gift. That one can work whether man prayed or they did. When I was eight, I woke up in the morning at eight. My mother prepared me breakfast and she was taking me to school. I did not pray that day. I just received Jesus as my Lord and a vision played before me and a car accident happened as I watched everything and I saw mom come out. Eight years. And I told mom, I see an accident, but you're not going to die in that accident. And there was a taxi of about 21 passengers going to bury a man. And as that car was leaving with my mother inside, my father stopped it. And when he stopped it, he told my mom, come on, I'll go in. My father sat in that car and about 180 kilometers from that spot, that car overturned and almost 96% of the people in that car died. My father was among the few three or four survivors. I didn't need to fast or pray. I was eight. But that was a gift operating in my life. And as I've walked with God, it has come when I've prayed or when I've not prayed. When I have fasted, when I've not fasted. But the voice that concerns the mandate and the assignment is different. That comes with a very different authority and it commands so much because it's the heart of the Father. Somebody shout hallelujah. May you hear more. Raise your voice and speak to God. Come on. Come on, pray. Tell God, help my heart. Help the place that relates with you. Examine my heart. Kill the self and fill it with you. Tell him, God, I avail myself to be used by you and not any other. Come and raise your voice. Pray. You take me. You mold me. Use me. Feel me. Cause I gave my life to the porter's hand. You call me, you guide me, you walk beside me, cause I gave my life to the porter's hand. Come on, let's sing it. Come on, pray. Feel me, Lord, cause I can. Pray in your own words. There's no formula. It's just your heart. Just tell God. Tell God. You guide me with me, Lord. Me walk beside me. Come on, pray. Oh, Radego, Zanana Baledego. Oh, Shire Baladego. Oh, Jesus, you are my 
something has broken tonight. Something is rebuilt tonight. Something is established tonight. Clarity has come tonight. Come on, pray. Why do you pray? Why do you seek Him? Why are you fasting? Why do you give? Why? Why do you say what you say? Why do you pray? Why do you go the places you go? God examine our hearts and help us. Help us, O oh God. Help us, O oh God. Holy Spirit, we bless you. We bless you. I pray in the name of Jesus. May God prepare our hearts. May God deal with us. May He kill ourselves. That we might truly live. Because there is no life worth living save that which he gives us. It's eternal. It's redeeming. It's purposeful. It's defining. It is shining. It is transforming. Father, help our hearts. Break us before you. Cause us to be available for you. Raise days where men are not going into the closet to get anointings, but to be with you. Bring back the days where men will lock themselves out for hours, not because they are preaching, but even when they are not preaching or nobody hears them, they have the urgency to love and be with you. Bring the days where men were never conscious of what was in need for them, but that your name would carry glory and honor and that they were willing to do anything at any cost because they had to decrease and you must increase. Help us understand why we do what we do and that we will purpose to do things for the right course. That when the things of God are added on us, we'll keep the right demeanor, the right interpretation, the right attitude, the right understanding of life because you have dealt with us deal with us God because when you do we shall hear your voice in Jesus name amen if you're sick in your body receive your healing right now if you're bound in any way be free right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ whatever you're dealing with may God deliver you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ father we thank you amen if you've never given your life to Christ I want you to repeat these words after me Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Say tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.